But we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And uh, we are thankful for the Lord's blessings. We're doing part 2 of our series, Church Impossible. And uh, we are going to pass out another form. We're going to do it right at the end of the, the message today. We're going to pass out another form uh, that I want you to help us with. I appreciate and I know last week it was kind of quick thinking on your part to have to come up with answering some questions, but uh, we got some great information. It was a big help. Today is going to be a little bit simpler because all you got to do is really list the 10 items we have in the order in which you think they're most important. So it's going to be simpler today. Last week we talked about a real purpose and, and, and the, the importance of understanding what the purpose of the church is. And can I just say, listen... Before the building program, before the children's program, before uh, any outside ministry, so to speak, the most important thing is, is that we uh, are a church that stands on the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. And we do that unapologetically. We don't apologize for what the Word of God says. I, I'm sorry that it might not go with uh, what popularity uh, and mainstream media might say today is, is what is befitting in 2020. Uh, there's people out there that have created their own religions and they might say, well, the Bible is offensive to my religion. Or they might say the Bible is offensive to the lifestyle in which I live. But the reality is, listen, the Word of God is truth and therefore we must stand up and line up with the Word of God with truth. We cannot fall into this trap that has happened in 2020 where everything's so politically correct that, that we are worried about offending somebody. Let, let me just say this. No matter what you do, you'll always offend somebody. No matter what you do. There, there's people who will stand up on the streets and, and they'll tell you how wicked homosexual lifestyle is and at the same time they're having affairs. Let me just say, it's still sin. And while we're yelling at somebody for all the bad things they're doing, we're forgetting that we also probably have been messing up this week. And that doesn't mean we don't stand against sin. My point is, is this. How do we then figure out what is, what is the appropriate stance? Well, it all goes back to what does God's word say? And when that is the appropriate stance in which we follow, you're going to find all of us at times are falling short of that. And we have to get right with God. So we talked about a real purpose. What is our purpose? This morning, I want to look at this second thought this week about a real passion. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. The Bible says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in examples to all that believeth in Macedonia and Achaia and from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Now, Father, we need your help this morning. God, fill us with your power. Lord, thank you for every person that's here this morning. Thank you for those that are watching online, those that are in the other parts of the building. Lord, as our new kids ministry has, has been reformed and getting going today, and all those that are training up there this morning, I pray that you bless them, bless the children. And Lord, I just pray that you'd meet with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the Father that we have uh, in our Heavenly Father. And Lord, while we may have not, some may not have had a good earthly father, Lord, we're thankful for the Heavenly Father who loves us, who's 
promised he'll never forsake us. And he's loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us. Lord, we're thankful for that. We ask that you meet with us. Bless now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On Paul's second missionary journey, the Bible tells us he stops into the city of Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 17, it records a story and it begins to tell how he goes into Thessalonica and he came there and was in the synagogues of the Jews and Paul and his manner was, went in unto them uh, the third Sabbath day, reasoned with them out of the scripture, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And Paul begins to expound uh, what Christ had done. By the way, everywhere Paul went, Paul loved to share what Jesus Christ had done. He would talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Uh, matter of fact, if you were with Paul for very long, if you didn't like the gospel message, you would have probably got tired of hearing him say it because over and over and over again, that was his passion, that was his desire, that was his purpose to share Jesus Christ. It didn't matter if he was talking to a common man, listen, that nobody else wanted anything to do with, if he was talking to somebody that was deep in Sin, or if he was going into the palaces and speaking uh, to kings, he wanted to declare Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's in Thessalonica and he begins to talk to them and the church that Paul planted at Thessalonica was, was what many have considered to be a model church in the early first century church and the reason was there was a lot of things going on. First, the city here of Thessalonica itself had some unique and some desirable features. Thessalonica was located in northern Greece, and if you've ever been to Greece, you'll find not only is it, was it beautiful then as they describe it, it's still a beautiful place. It was a free city uh, that had its own government. It was also the capital region of Macedonia. Additionally, the city was an important metropolis in the Roman period. It was the trade hub for the Roman Empire. There was so much going on in this great city, and it was on the most famous route between Rome and Constantinople, and so it was a very important place, and, and Paul begins to understand the, the strategy of this place. Now, I, I just want you to catch something this morning. If you don't know this, we live in a pretty important place here in the United States, and I'm talking about the Nashville area, because a lot of things happen right through here, and much like this, there was a lot of traffic going back and forth through Thessalonica. But it wasn't the location or it wasn't the political freedom of the city that made the church of Thessalonica successful. It was the authenticity of the Christians in that church. There was something about them that was genuine, that was real. There was something about them that, that, that was serious about Christ. You know, there's nothing wrong, and I hope you understand this, there's nothing wrong with, with doing some, some promotions to get people to come to church. And, and I've heard sometimes people say, boy, I can't believe these churches would, would try to do things to get people to come to church. Well, let me just remind you of things that we do even without having a special promotion. One of the things we do to encourage people people to come to churches, we try to have air conditioning when it's hot. And we try to have heat when it's cold. And we try to have running water in the bathroom so you can wash your hands. And we try to have modern conveniences. Just to be honest, some of that is actually part of what it helps people keep coming. You get rid of the air and the heat and the bathrooms and let's see how many people want to stick around for church. Let's just get rid of the lights. I mean, after all, that would help on the monthly expenses, amen. Sit in the dark and have a lot of fun. Sometimes people say, boy, I don't know about these promotions. But let me just say the opposite of this is if the only reason you come to church is because some gimmick is going on, you haven't caught a passion for Christ. 
If the only thing that gets you to go to church is, well, they're doing something special today. Now, I realize you're here today, and we don't have some big promotion, so, so I'm not scolding you this morning, but I'm saying as a whole, Christianity, oftentimes people will go because some special event or something going on, but the reality is, listen, this church was so genuine, they were so sincere, they had a passion for Christ, and there was something about these folks that Paul really enjoyed being around them, and he said, boy, there is something genuine about your walk with God. Here was a church that had a real passion. They were a witness and they loved to share Jesus Christ. They loved to proclaim the gospel throughout not only their region, but all around the world. Now, if you haven't caught this yet, listen, you and I as Christians, God has put us here, listen, first to bring honor and glory to him. But secondly, he's given us a commandment. We're to take the gospel to every creature. It starts here locally and then we take it around the world. And so if we only get focused here locally, we've missed out on the whole commission. If we only get involved in missions around the world and do nothing here, we've missed out on the whole commission. He said we're to start here and to go around the world with the gospel. And that ought to be not just something that's commanded, that ought not to be a drudge to us, that ought to be a passion. Man, we've got to get the gospel out to every creature. I will say this, and, and sometimes people will get a little, uh, a little uh, sour with the preacher because some churches, especially out of habit, maybe on Sunday morning the preacher will preach a salvation message every morning, uh, every Sunday morning, and sometimes people say, well, I don't know about that. I will just warn you, don't ever get over the gospel message. Don't ever get over what Jesus has done for you. We ought to be thankful for that. Somebody says, well, you know, I've been saved, and that's simplistic, but, but can I just say, listen, if you're not taking the gospel to everybody else, You've already missed out on the most basic principle, the most basic commandment for God's children. We're to take the gospel out. In 1 Thessalonians, we began to read in verse 8, uh, he begins to tell uh, how uh, for, the, for you, he said, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but around the world. By the time Paul wrote the epistle to the church that he previously planted here in Thessalonica, he was able to affirm their faithful witness. It seemed everywhere Paul went, uh, he encountered people who had heard the gospel because they traveled through this city of Thessalonica and somebody shared Jesus with them. By the way, what a blessing to think about how faithful this church was at making sure that everybody that came through their town knew who Jesus was. You know, there's a lot of people that come to the Nashville area for a lot of reasons. I would say probably most of the, the tourists come for the music aspect. But they come for a lot of reasons. It's a, a wonderful place, a lot of great things to do in our city. And uh, when everything's open and running, it's a wonderful place. And, and uh, of course, I'm going to throw in a little political jab. It is amazing that uh, it, right now it's hard to have church and it's hard to have activities, but we can have protests. Anyhow, that's another time for another story. But anyway, uh, I love how y'all got in on that. But the reality is it's a wonderful place to come and visit and people come here. We're, uh, we're 11 hours driving distance to three quarters of America's population. And it's a beautiful, amazing place. But it, it's sad if people come here and they learn the, the history of our country music and, and they come here and they learn the beauty of our city and they come here and, and they enjoy all the aspects that are here and they leave this place and they didn't hear about Jesus Christ. Let me just throw this out. Per capita, we probably have about as many churches in, in a big city as any other big city does. I don't, y'all probably didn't notice this because driving to church here this morning, you probably were still half asleep. But if you were awake, you might have noticed that there's a church on about every corner. Did y'all notice that? Did y'all see that? We got them all over. We got churches everywhere. And yet, here's the sad part. The gospel of Jesus Christ is often not being shared with others. 
What's wrong? Somebody's lost their passion. Somebody's lost their, their desire, listen, to understand that the truth must be declared. What was it about this church in Thessalonica that made them so successful in getting the gospel message out? Maybe was it that they had an a, a ancient marketing, marketing strategy that, that made their faith appealing to the pagan society in which they lived? Was it maybe that they had a strong presence in the political arena and changed society from the government down? Maybe that's what it was. Was it maybe that they had a state-of-the-art facilities and they had an amazing worship program? What was it that made them so special? What they had was a true Bible passion to fulfill Scripture. They wanted to do what, what thus saith the Lord says. They wanted to just be obedient to God. They wanted to fulfill what God had put them here for. I want you to notice three quick things in this passage this morning. First off, we see the remembrance of the faithful. All through the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul addresses uh, questions and concerns uh, this church had concerning the end times and rapture. He began to deal with all the things that are to come and what's going to take place in the last days. But before he even addresses this issue, he begins to reminisce about his stay in Thessalonica. And he can't help but stop and think about the faithfulness of the church people. But he begins to just think about how faithful they've been to God and how faithful they've been uh, to the man of God. And he remembered that from the beginning, this church was a real faith and they had real love and they had real hope in the Lord. He began to address this. He said, talks about their work of faith here. He begins to talk about the work of faith that they had. The Christians at Thessalonica had, had not just given a, a mental uh, assent to Christ. Uh, it wasn't that they just said, yes, he's Lord and that was it. But they showed it by their actions, by their work, that they really believed that he was worth serving. There was something about the work of faith that, that he was so impressed with. Their faith was the kind that produced action. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm concerned about somebody that says they know Jesus and that Jesus lives inside of them, but yet it's never stirred them to do anything for him. Something's not right. When we have a passion for something, it will begin to stir and overflow and be shown from us. Can't help it. You ever seen a young couple when they when they first meet and start to fall in love, it's almost a little gross. I mean, they just, they just want to be with each other every minute of every day, and, and they, you can see they, they don't see anybody else in the room with them. They're just looking at each other with those, with those eyes. And you try to talk to them, and you might get their attention for a second, and they're back to each other, and oh, they're just madly in love, and they love each other, and it's so wonderful. And they're excited because they begin to finish each other's sentences. You know, my wife and I, 21 years, we finished each other's sentences. The other day I said, hey, hon, would you? And she said, make your own sandwich. And I was like, that's what I was thinking, amen. We finished each other's sentences. <laughs> but, oh, man, it's so special and it's wonderful. But here's the thing. Listen, there's something about when we have a passion for something, it begins to overflow and people will begin to recognize it. And when you love Jesus Christ, people begin to see there's something about that person. Man, they love the Lord doesn't matter who you're with, doesn't matter who you're around, you love the Lord. We see their work of faith, we see their labor of love. The word labor in this passage is kepos, which means intense labor, united with trouble and toil. These Christians were focused and dedicated in their labor for Christ. There was something about doing something for the Lord that just brought an excitement to them. I don't know why it is, but in 2020, it seems like it's almost as bad as pulling teeth to try to get people to want to serve the Lord. 
It ought not to be that way. It ought not to be, and I, it's, not, it's not just a, it's a one church thing. It happens in churches all across the country. Uh, they have to just beg and plead and try to get people to be involved in serving the Lord. It ought not to be that way. And I wonder if the reason maybe we're not so faithful at proclaiming the gospel and not so faithful in serving God is because we don't have a true passion for the Lord. You're going to be involved, and you're going to do the things you love to do. Where is our passion for Christ? We see they had a labor of love. When they considered the love of Christ, they began to be compelled to want to serve him. Hey, listen, when you consider how much Christ loves you, I'm telling you, it'll make all the difference. You'll desire to live for him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one man died for all, then we were all dead. And if he died for all, then we which live should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto him that died and rose again. We ought to desire to serve him with all of our heart. It was a labor of love. By the way, true love always labors. It's an oxymoron to claim that you love Christ if you're not serving him. To say you love the Lord if you're not doing things that please him. We see it was a labor of love, but then we see it was a patience of hope. The church labored with faith and love, but they also labored with patience. Probably one of the most difficult things for me is sometimes to be patient. I don't, I'm not a patient person sometimes, especially when it comes to projects. When I start doing a project, I like to see it get done quickly. I don't like, it, it bothers me. And yeah, I, you know, I would have never said this a few years ago, but more and more I've admitted it to this church and you've heard it exclusively here. It started here first. What people have known about me most of my life, but I didn't like to declare it. I publicly declared it here about four years ago in the church and now you know, but I do have a little OCD and when people began to, to take things apart, matter of fact, isn't it amazing how God puts people in your life sometimes they're the opposite? And I'm talking about my wife. She does good. I'm talking about my assistant, Jeremy, who I don't know what the opposite of OCD is, but he's it. And sometimes I'll just look at him and say, bud, dude, I got to go somewhere else. I can't even look right now. And he'll pull things apart. And you know, there's a method to madness. We had a guy come over one time and work on our vehicle, and it was something simple. He said, it's not a big deal. And I said, great, and he come over, and he, he said, man, I said, you want me to help you? And of course, what, what am I going to do? Stand there and pray over it. That's about it, amen. He said, no, 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 go ahead and do what you need to do. So I walked inside, was making a couple calls. I come back out there, and literally the whole engine, everything was spread out on our driveway. And I said, I thought it was simple. He goes, yeah, it's real simple. I said, are you kidding me? I said, I can't even stand here right now. I got to go back in. Stuff everywhere drives me nuts. But you know, when we get a passion for Christ, listen, when we began to desire to live for him, sometimes it has to come at a place of patience. It's easy sometimes for us to, to maybe look down on new believers as not being as passionate as we are. Why don't they have a desire like we do? Why is it that they're not working like I am? Why is it that they're not doing the same things I'm doing? And sometimes we have to learn to have a little patience. They, they had some patience knowing, listen, that everything's going to be in control. And let me just say this. For the child of God, in this day and time in which we live, it seems like the world's winning. Sometimes we have to have patience and hope knowing that, listen, in the end, guess what? We're on the winning side. Christ will rule and reign. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. We see the remembrance of the faithful. We notice, secondly, the relationship of the followers here. 
When you find a church with real passion who's producing fruit, you'll find a church where the relationships are Christ-honoring and they're spiritually strong. When a church family has the right relationship with its leaders and with one another, they have the freedom to focus outwardly on the things that need to be done in reaching the world. But when they start fighting amongst each other, when there starts being problems, they begin to get focused on what's going on in here instead of out there. Matter of fact, I, I just help you with something this morning. Probably the best thing that can help all of us not get so distracted with what's going on in here is to get busy serving them out there. So, so many people, the Christian life to them, it's all about 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's all about this hour. And to be honest, that's not what this is. This is the pep rally so that we'll go do the work out there that he's called us to do. You're looking for something to do for Christ. I tell you, six days a week, well, we'll just go ahead and make it six and a half days a week. There's so much to do outside of this wall right here, outside of this room. There's so much we can be doing for Christ. It's amazing. Uh, so often the talent that, that now are well-known stars started out singing here in the church, and this is where they got their start, and then they made it big out there and got out into the world. But can I just say, listen, Sitting on a platform singing or sitting on a platform, standing on a platform preaching or standing in a class teaching, those are not the only places. You're not limited just to this place to be able to use your talents for the Lord. I'm praying this year and we're, in a few weeks we're going to share some stuff with you as a church. I'm praying that we're, we're getting ready to spread a little bit and get a little more community oriented. Because we've got our focus all wrong as a church. I really believe that we've come to a place where it's all about 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, and when that's over, we think we're done. And I think this is, this is not what the church of Thessalonica was all about. They were about during the week doing the work of God, saying, hey, listen, what can we do to tell somebody about Jesus? By the way, I don't think everybody that was going from Rome to Constantinople, I don't think they were coming through Thessalonica stopping off of the church. So how did they hear the gospel? Because somebody was going outside of the church. Somebody was taking the gospel outside of the church saying, listen, I've got some good news to share with you. Some people were sharing it at work as they were coming by their local gas station, whatever it was back then. Somebody was sharing the good news, listen, as they were out in the community. Somebody was sharing Jesus with them. How important that we have an understanding of the, of the relationship of the followers. Paul was commending the church at Thessalonica for their passion in witnessing we see he pointed out some things. They follow their human examples. You know, it's important to understand that people are watching our lives. My children, I'll use them as an example. They're watching your lives. And the other children are watching your lives. And they're watching my lives. And they're watching my life. Man, you know, the, the worst thing that's happened to my boys is oftentimes their, their problems in life, they got them because they took after me. I mean, I see it sometimes. I'll get on to him for it, and then I'll realize, oh, it sounds a lot like their dad. Hey, we're an example. People are watching our lives. My wife and I went to Mexico uh, about a year before we were married with her church group on a missions trip, and she had been down there every summer as a kid growing up, stayed down there and worked. And there was an older gentleman. Matter of fact, it was his last year on the mission field, and I don't remember how old uh, Mr. Brother Carlos Demers was, but he had been there for years, and probably in his 70s at that time. And, and uh, we went down there and, and uh, we were going to different villages about eight hours in, in uh, once you go into Mexico, into these villages and we were sharing Jesus. And, and you couldn't help, but after spending a little time with Brother Carlos, you couldn't help but get passionate about telling people about Jesus. 
everywhere he went, he was telling somebody about Jesus. And I used to have the same excuse that I know a lot of us do. You know, it's just hard for me to, to bring up Jesus in a conversation. And you go around him, and it didn't matter where we went. He was always telling people about Jesus. This is how, this is how passionate he was about telling Jesus. My father-in-law and, and another friend of ours was in the gas station with Brother Demers, and he said uh, he began to talk to the lady behind the counter, and just a few words said some things to her, and right there she just began to break down and cry. My father-in-law said it was just us three in there, and he said, you know, we were kind of standing back and just waiting on him. And said, next thing you know, him and her are down on their knees and she's just begging and asking Jesus to come and save her heart. And he's leading her to the Lord. And he said, somebody walked in and they saw him down and her down and she's crying and, and they're looking. And at first they thought they were holding the place up. <laughs> said they were looking at, at my father-in-law and, and his other friend John looking at him funny. He said, but we left that place. And he said, that lady got gloriously saved. And he said, at first, he said, when, when we started going with him, he said, I'd be a little embarrassed because everywhere we went, he talked about Jesus. He said, but pretty soon, he began to tell people about Jesus, and they began to give their life to Christ. And he said, it began to say, I want to do more to tell people about the Lord. They followed the example of others. This is why it's important that you and I, listen, especially who've been saved a little longer, who have a little more experience, be bold in our faith because others are following. But then we see they followed the Lord. The relationship of the followers, they were serving Christ, all that they would do, what God had called them to do. Jesus promised spiritual light and direction to those that follow him. He said in John 8, 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In the early days of the church, it wasn't necessarily easy to follow Christ. We don't understand it here in America because we're so blessed, but in a lot of parts around the world, it's difficult to serve the Lord in 2020. But they loved him. We see lastly, what you notice the reputation of the flock here. By the way, every church has a reputation. If the name of the church was mentioned in the community, people have thoughts of what they think about that church, how they feel about that church. Maybe they think it's a loving, helpful, caring church. Maybe they think it's a harsh, sloppy, uh, obnoxious church. Sometimes Satan will even try to spin a, a false narrative on a church. And, and, and even so, a church that loves God, listen, is going to be faithful in telling people about Jesus. And let me just say, the greatest thing that people could ever accuse this church of being is a church that cares about reaching people for Christ. Let them say that we love people. Let them say that we're passionate about telling others about Jesus. Let them say that, and I would say that we're doing good as a church. It's sad, but the average church you go into today, if you're visiting there, most of the time you'll feel like you're not wanted. I've been in thousands of churches in my lifetime. I've been in churches as a guest preacher that before they realized I was the guest preacher, it was the most unwelcoming church I'd ever been into. I've been in churches as a guest preacher that it still felt very unwelcoming. My wife and I tell you, we've been in some that, whew, it'd be all right, Lord, if we don't ever have to go back. And we've been in some where they were so friendly and caring. Can I just say, listen, if we're not going to first care for the people that are coming in here, we're definitely not going to care for those out there. But we start with a passion for those that are visiting here, but don't let it stop here. It's sad if we're only caring right here in this place. You realize all the people that we're around every week? I mean, this week alone, even with the coronavirus still kind of slowly persisting and things happening, I've, I've been around so many people this week. My boys had 
baseball games yesterday. We were with, with all the baseball team and all those people getting reconnected. I hadn't seen them in a long time. I ran into several stores this week and talked to people, made some visits this week. I had to go up to the doctor, to the hospital, all kinds of people, around a bunch of people who need to know that I care about them just as much as the visitor that comes to this church. See, our duty for Christ isn't just from 11 to 12 on Sunday morning. Our duty for Christ is throughout the week. And so our passion shouldn't just be evident right here. It should be evident out there. Matter of fact, I feel bad, but some churches, when they say amen, they go out and boom, the switch is turned off and everybody starts acting like hellions again and they run each over in the parking lot and, you know, whatever. You think I'm joking, but I know there's been people that's been flipped off by other people pulling out of the church parking lot because they were getting cut in front of them. When we leave this place, the passion for Christ doesn't leave. It ought to be intensified. We ought to be stirred up so much that we leave today going, man, who can I tell about Jesus today? And you say, preacher, I just don't really feel comfortable. I don't know how to do that. Well, we've got these things hanging up in our racks, and they're the, the tracks that you can take it, and it's got the gospel on it to at least begin to plant the seed, and you can give that to them to at least begin to let them know you care about them. What happens if they reject it? Oh, I promise you, there'll be people that reject it. I rejected the gospel the first time I heard it. I rejected the gospel the second time I heard it. I rejected it for a long time because I didn't get saved until I was 14, and I was brought up in church nine months before I was born. I'm just telling you, listen, but the gospel message is something we have to be passionate about. We see a powerful reception here. This was a church that had a reputation for receiving the gospel and allowing God to work among them in a powerful way. We see an influential prop, uh, propagation here. The believers of this church were bold. They were faithful. In 1956, there was five missionaries who were killed down in the Curé River by the Kua Indians. It's an amazing story. I'm sure many of you have probably heard about it. These guys had a passion for Christ. They wanted to do something for Christ. And one of these men, his name was Jim Elliott. He was a, still a young man. Prior to his death, Jim had recorded in his journal his desire that his life would have a real impact as a witness for Christ. He wanted to make a difference. I mean, he wanted to do something that would really impact somebody else's life. Here's what he wrote. He said, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost or a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. His desire was to be a a crisis man. His desire was to be a, a man that, that would help point people to Christ. His witness was powerful. It was real. It was genuine. And although he died at the age of 29, his life impacted, no telling how many thousands of people. Made a big difference in the lives of others. One of the missionary's sons was sharing his testimony. And he said, those men died and as a kid I didn't quite understand why because my dad and those other missionaries had guns they were faced with 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 a tribe that only had spears they refused to 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 kill them in defense because they knew if they killed them it meant certain eternity in hell for them because they didn't even know who Jesus was you talking about a passion for lost you talking about a passion for Christ? 
Oh, that God would give us that kind of a passion. Listen, a, a, a genuine, sold-out church, a church that's going to do the impossible, that's going to reach the world, is going to have to have a true passion for Christ. Down south, it's just kind of given that we go to church. Or I will say it like this. Most everybody, for the most part, if you were raised down south, has some kind of a church connection. You went to VBS or went to camp or something. We all kind of would claim to be good moral people. But what happens is, is we come to church oftentimes either first because as kids we're uh, forced to go or we go maybe because of necessity. We feel like, well, I have to go. If I don't go, you know, the church will be thinking bad things about me. But oftentimes we don't go for the right reason and we don't really have a passion See, the point is, is we come so that God may stir us up, motivate us in here to go out there and do what he's called us to do. I pray that, that we can get our focus off of here. As a pastor, I, I have to really pray that God helps me with this sometimes because there's nobody that gets more nervous, more, more worked up, more everything than, than the pastor before the Sunday morning service. We want everything to go just right. We want it to be just right. We want everything to go smoothly. We don't want to have a problem with the sound system. We don't want to have a problem with the sound guys walking on the stage while he's preaching. We don't want none of that. We want it to be just right. We don't want ushers coming up at the wrong time. Not that that's ever happened like a week ago, but, you know, it happens. We want everything to be perfect. We want to make sure that everything is just right. But here's the reality is this is just the pep rally. The real work happens out there. I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong. Church is important. But it doesn't end when we leave this place. It really just begins. And we have a passion for the lost. It'll cause us not to be Sunday-only Christians, but rather we'll truly serve Christ every day of the week. Father, I pray that you would help within us to stir a passion for the lost. Help to stir within us a desire to tell others about Jesus the question begins to be asked, what are we passionate about? And the reality is there's so many things that we get so passionate about that oftentimes are not the things of Christ. I wonder today if somebody was to describe your passion to you based on your actions, your social media posts, The banners hanging on your vehicles or your yard. I mean, if they could take everything that they see about you and, and, and they said, this is what this person is passionate about. What would it be said about you? What would most people conclude is your passion? Would they come to this conclusion that, boy, that person is passionate about Jesus? Or would it be that it might be something else? And can I just remind you, while all the other things that we do have an importance, if they come before God, our life is already out of order. Because he said we're not to have anything before him. May God help us to have a passion for him. As we stand to our feet, we're going to sing this morning. I want to invite you to come. You're here and you're not sure of your salvation. We'd love to show you how you can know Christ. If you want to... Join the church, love to have you. Whatever the need is, you need to pray, won't you come as we sing.